It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, March 1st, 2022. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. On Monday, Sitka police released the name of the school bus driver who was arrested upon suspicion of driving under the influence on Edgecombe Drive last week. 61-year-old Christy Coltharp was charged with a DUI and endangering the welfare of a child in the first degree. Both charges are a Class A misdemeanor. Coltharp's arraignment was set for 1.30 today, but the hearing has been postponed. Sitka is shifting its community alert levels to align with new Centers for Disease Control guidelines beginning today, March 1st. The new COVID guidelines use COVID hospitalizations as the primary metric for determining a community's risk level, followed by case counts. The CDC established three community risk levels, low, medium, and high. It recommends masking in indoor public spaces in communities with high risk. At medium risk level, it recommends masking indoors for people who are immunocompromised. Masks aren't recommended for communities considered low risk. The risk level is determined by one of two numbers, the hospitalization rate or the percent of staffed inpatient beds occupied by COVID-19 patients, whichever is higher. If there are fewer than 10 COVID hospitalizations per 100,000 people over the course of a week, a community would be at low risk, unless it reports more than 200 new infections over the same week. The CDC says that monitoring case counts could warn of future surges. Sitka's Emergency Operations Center announced the change in a press release issued late last Friday. The group urges Sitkins to be patient while adapting to the new metrics, which could shortly result in a shift to medium alert and the relaxation of Sitka's indoor mask mandate, which is only in effect when the community is in high alert. A Sitka grand jury indicted three people last week on six felony drug charges after police seized an estimated $40,000 worth of heroin, meth and opioids during a home search. Court documents detail the circumstances that led to the arrests of 34-year-old Stephen Poitra, 24-year-old Alexis Christine Nelson, and 31-year-old Justin Osbachen. In an affidavit, Sitka police officer Jason Christner wrote that on February 15th, police searched Osbachen's home after receiving an anonymous tip, along with a tip from a Juno officer on the Southeast Alaska Cities Against Drugs, or CCAD, task force. They found around 28 grams of heroin, under 2 grams of methamphetamine, and over 200 blue pills which look like prescription oxycodone. Police suspected the pills were counterfeit and actually the synthetic opioid known as fentanyl. Sitka police don't have the technology to field test for fentanyl. The pills, along with the heroin and meth, were sent to the state crime lab for analysis. Poitra and Nelson were both indicted on two Class A felony counts of misconduct involving a controlled substance in the second degree for distributing heroin and opioids. Nelson also received one count of misconduct involving a controlled substance in the third degree for methamphetamine, a Class B felony. Nelson, Poitra, and Osbachen each received two counts of conspiracy misconduct involving a controlled substance in the second degree for both heroin and opioids, a Class B felony. Osbachen received an additional charge of misconduct involving a controlled substance in the fourth degree for the distribution of controlled substances from his home, a Class C felony. Throughout February, in honor of Black History Month, KCAW's Tosh Kimmel has spoken with Black Sitkins to better understand what the Black experience looks like in a small Alaska town. For the fourth installment of Black in Sitka, she met with city maintenance worker Mia Navarez. My name is Mia Navarez. I'm 22 years old, <laughs> and um, I've lived in Sitka for like 14, 15 years. Uh, I moved from Los Angeles when I was seven. 
you know, living there, like, being there until 7 impacted me, but, like, definitely Sitka has been, like, my home. My mom is black and white, and my dad is Mexican-American. It's been interesting because, like, my mom's the only biracial person in her, like, family growing up, so she (laughs) um, doesn't quite see herself as black, and especially growing up here, like, L.A. is definitely much more diverse. (laughs) Um, And then coming here, I had a bit of a weird kind of a separation of like how I saw myself yeah um like I didn't see myself as black for a really long time and uh, especially growing up and like doing activities like like looking around and being like I'm surrounded by (laughs) a majority of like white people Mm. only like recently have I been like be able to like be confidently like I'm a black woman (laughs) so talk to me more about growing up in an all-white community and then like that shift into then being like I am I see myself as a black woman and I'm comfortable in that I think a lot of it had to do with like um especially in conversations like feeling like I had the right to say things like (laughs) especially like leading up to certain community events that I took place in especially with like the BLM stuff was a bit explosive time for me (laughs) because um Growing up here, you, like, hear a lot of things being said. Some pretty racist stuff. (laughs) And um, finally being like, I think I'm allowed to kind of be like, that's, like, not okay. (laughs) So having those conversations is, like, really interesting and, like, hard. Because I think there's a lot of shame that comes with it from people that I discuss it with that are white. Mm. It's painful for both sides, I think. So I'm, I'm glad that people do have those conversations with me. But, um... The combination of being black and supporting BLM and, like, the interactions I have that are negative, I'm like, ooh, this is very blatantly not okay. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of aggression. Sometimes that's passive, sometimes not so passive. And it's kind of been interesting trying to manage my own feelings with it. Was it hard to not have a black community kind of around you at that, like, explosive time in your life? Yeah, thankfully, I had a lot of, like, really strong um, clinket women <laughs> definitely, like, supporting me and, like, being able to have these discussions with me. So it was really cool, like, having that support because they're incredibly strong, especially dealing with racism to the Native community in this town. So having that definitely got me through a lot. No, I mean, I grew up in a predominantly white community as well, and I think... And so it always felt like I had to kind of, like, define blackness for myself because I never had, like, many black role models in my life. Was that a process you went through? It's hard because a lot of, like, black culture has become so mainstream. Like, how much of it impacting me, especially, like, living in this town? And that's, like, my only kind of input from the community. Like, the black community is from media and, like, what I see online, unfortunately. Is there anything else you want to add for people anything at all you want to add I guess it would be don't touch people's hair (laughs) that's such a big one or like and like comparing how someone's like affects or like personality is white (laughs) it can be super damaging to someone young that was Mia Navarez speaking with KCAW's Tosh Kimmel for our series Black in Sitka we'll have one more installment in this series later this week Alaska Congressman Don Young is among several U.S. House members trying to punish Russian oligarchs following Moscow's attack on Ukraine. 
the 25-term Republican says he's drafting a bill to authorize the seizure of Russian yachts and commercial vessels currently within the waters of the United States, as KRBD's Eric Stone reports. Don Young says in a news release that America's support for Ukraine should include moves to seize the assets of, in his words, rich Russian oligarchs who continue living lavish lifestyles on mega yachts, all while their thuggish friend Vladimir Putin rains terror upon innocent, peaceful Ukrainians. Young's spokesperson says the forthcoming bill would require Russian vessels to be seized and auctioned off to benefit humanitarian efforts in Ukraine. He says that goes beyond a White House proposal unveiled in recent days to freeze Russian yachts and mansions. One of Young's House colleagues has suggested a bill to ban travel visas for Russian officials, oligarchs, and their families. Others have proposed seizing Russian-owned villas, private jets, and bank accounts. Meanwhile, governors and local officials are trying to ban Russian vodka from state-run liquor stores, divest pension funds of Russian holdings, and cancel sister city relationships. Lists of yachts reportedly owned by Russian billionaires are circulating online. And, as it happens, the hulking vessels are not that uncommon to see right here in Alaska. Ketchikan Harbormaster Dan Berg says they're generally too big to tie up at the city's docks, but he recalls seeing Russian oligarchs' boats from time to time, like a 390-foot superyacht that anchored off the coast of Ketchikan in 2014. The biggest one I can remember, the most memorable one, was the A, the yacht is called. And you know, it's a real kind of uh, stealth-looking design with funny angles. And when that one was here several years ago, it anchored up out in front of Ward Cove uh, for several days. The $300 million yacht A, yep, that's the whole name, A, is currently in the Dubai area, according to Vessel Tracking Services. As of 2018, it was owned by Russian industrialist Andrei Melnichenko. The fertilizer magnate also reportedly owns a sailing superyacht, which is also named A. The harbormaster in Juneau, Matthew Cresswell, says a few Russian yachts stick out in his mind. The last one I remember was either 2018 or 2019, pre-COVID, of course, a real large 300-foot yacht that uh, was in town early in the season, and uh, I think the owner came in for a bear hunt or something. He says he can't quite remember the name, but the Juno Empire newspaper's archives feature a photo of the 292-foot superyacht Here Comes the Sun in Ock Bay in 2018. That one's currently docked on a Spanish island in the Mediterranean. Young's proposal wouldn't just require the seizure of pleasure yachts. The Dean of the House's statement lists Russian commercial vessels as targets for seizure. With additional reporting from Alaska Public Media's Liz Ruskin in Anchorage, reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.